This episode contains descriptions of violence and warfare. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Creators by Moonlight. Real conversations with content creators. Sergio Halaby is a podcaster from Bahrain. He grew up in the midst of a violent civil war, which caused him to question everything, including his own existence. In this interview, he talks about the creation of his podcast, Paradigm Shift, some of the religious and esoteric topics he discusses on it, and how to slow down and avoid the lure of instant success. I was born in 85, and uh, 85 is like the 10th year of a civil war that has been uh, raging in, in Lebanon. The first memory I have is me looking out the window and seeing a tank uh, rolling down the street where I was living and seeing it fire at another part of the street. I feel like that really kind of set the tone for what my life is going to be. Uh, it feels like I've lived several lifetimes in, in this one life. Like I've been through quite a lot, but it's good. It's something that I admire, actually. I like it. We moved out of that house that we were in. I was two years old and uh, I knew, I realized later, like they told me that the house we were living in after a month of us moving, it actually got destroyed. It got hit with a, uh, a bomb or a rocket or something. Uh, but the building was still standing. And it's funny because I walked into that house around 33 years later. And I walked in and I saw my bedroom. I saw where my bed was with the toys and everything. It's like a scene from a movie. It's, it's a very surreal experience and very surreal memory to have looking back at that. Growing up during the, during the Civil War, um, obviously this was my first experience at life, so I didn't have anything to measure it to or to compare it to. So it, it seemed everything was very normal to just have to... Uh, we were living because we were living on the top floor of the building, so every night we had to go and sleep in the, at our neighbor's house, which is below us, because you know we might get hit or you know, die throughout the night or something. That seemed very normal to me at the time. Like it's only now as an adult that I, I realize how much that has an effect. But uh, so basically the, the, the civil war is extremely complicated. It spanned 15 years. It's mostly religious in nature. So if, if you reach a checkpoint, they need to see your papers and on the paper it said what kind of religion you are. And if you're lucky, the people on that checkpoint would be from the same religion, so they let you go. If not, they will stop you and either kill you or imprison you, torture you, whatever. So that was uh, really, um, it, 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 was, it was very nasty. Like there's so many things that uh, I felt, uh, you know, fear, insecurity. Uh, there was no place where it felt like home, like leaving the house where I, I was born in to moving to another house, living in the same house with three different families. And then two years after that, we moved to a yet another house. And it was just like this ongoing uh, moving from one place to another, never feeling this, this uh, safety. And I still have it till now, surprisingly. Like I'm now 36 and still, whenever I need to move to a new house, uh, I, I feel like I'm lost. Uh, I don't have a place to, to sleep in. Uh, I'm in a, in a completely strange place, even though I know where I am, but there's something inside me that I've been carrying ever since then. Like I said, so the war was, was not okay. It ended in 1990, officially as the war, but still years after that, there were always problems happening in Lebanon. So you had wars with, with Israel, war with Syria. Uh, I, I remember uh, I was... 14 or 15 when there was a war with Israel and they were bombing us. So they had like these, you know, F-15s, they would fly over and they would always fly at night after 12, 1 a.m. And they would fly over the city of Beirut where I would, and they would go supersonic. So it would like create this 
boom all over the city and like if you sleep you immediately wake up and I would always sleep in my clothes I wouldn't sleep in my underwear or anything because I would think like if they hit us and the building falls down like at least I would be wearing something if I need to run like this was you know like constant like for around two months the same every night thinking about this before like there was a ceasefire and then it would stop for like a year or two and then again another war happens it's just this constant feeling of you're, you're never safe you're never uh, at home uh, yeah it's uh, it was always there there were times where there would be like assassinations happening political assassinations and they would do that through bombing cars so the car of this political person you know like they want to kill him so they would bomb his car and many times i would be like maybe let's say my friends would call me and like hey let's go out and go to that you know to the mall to hang out and i'd be like you know no not tonight and then 15 minutes later like there was a bomb in that mall that exploded and you know like people were hurt and died and everything and i'd be like if I just made that choice to go, like I would be there. And it would also create this thing, which is like uh, the survivor guilt, where where you always wonder why, why am I always surviving? You know, like I, I'm seeing death all around me. I'm seeing moms crying, uh, children lost their parents, uh, houses being destroyed. And I'd be like, it feels like I'm just like dodging every bad thing that's happening and I don't know why. And yeah, the survivor guilt, like I didn't even know it had a name, you know, it just I was feeling it for years and years until recently I came across it online and I learned how to deal with it and accept that, yes, it's okay to be a survivor and not to die from specific, you know, bomb or, or something. So yeah, that was also pretty tough. Moving a few years forward, I guess because of the war and the impact it had financially and emotionally, mentally on everyone in my family, my uh, my parents got divorced. I was eight at the time. And that also obviously had its effect on me and kind of pushed me in a, in a specific direction. My interests, you know, I started asking questions that an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old doesn't ask at that age uh, questions about why am I here? What is the nature of my existence? What is my purpose in life? Is it this difficult to everyone or is it just me and so on? And it kind of like set me on this big path in my life that now I'm seeing, I'm reaping all the benefits from it. I lived with my mom, I was with my sister, and we both stayed with my mom, my dad left, and uh, my mom was Catholic, devout Catholic, and uh, I was in a Catholic school as well. <laughs> I was always rebellious, like it was, I did not make it easy for my, the thing is my mom was a teacher at the same school, you know, so it's kind of like, it was there, <laughs> you know, I had to make my own name and my own personality i couldn't just be her son and i was extremely rebellious like i was getting kicked out of the class daily uh, i didn't care so much about the education itself so my grades weren't that good i would always try to mess with the teachers with the principal try to wear something that i'm not supposed to wear because you know like it's catholic school uniform you have to have everything perfectly done from top to bottom and i would always try to see how long i can get away with something before you know like someone tells me to stop it or whatever there was this time where i just put my collar up like you know the, the shirt collar i would just put it up and i'm like i want to see how far i can go and i literally made it one stairs up you know like i just walked up and i made it like you have to wear it down, put the collar down. And every, like, it's, it, was, it was really funny for me, like school. I, I, um, it was nice for me because I kind of built my entire personality on, on this rebellious, you know, like teenager who, who doesn't want to listen to authority and all that. And I would see my mom, like she was struggling with it. She would avoid the teacher's lounge because they would always going to have to talk to her about me and how bad it was and all that. But at the same time, they kind of did give me some form of, I wouldn't say discipline, but more like 
focus, you know, like there was an aspect. So it wasn't as bad as you would see them in movies when you mention Catholic schools and nuns and stuff like that. So it wasn't as bad as that or like we'll get beat up or something. It was none of that. So my school was chill when it comes to certain certain ways of uh, disciplining and, and, you know, raising kids and teaching them and all that. But of course, for me, as a what, 13, 14, year, 15 year old, I want to make to make my own, you know, mark on the on the place, and I did. Yeah, you know, I was I was pretty popular in school. I was known for the things you know I would do. They would always laugh at, at things I'm doing, and it wouldn't really affect my like. They would shout at me, yell at me, try to humiliate me in front of others. But I'm like, yeah, it's just like very thick skin growing up. So yeah, it it was it was nice actually. It was not as bad. My only issue was when it comes to the education itself, and it was a lot of indoctrination when it comes to religion and things that would they would keep out of history classes. And you know, given that it's Catholic and uh, you know Abrahamic religion and all that, for some reason they would teach us all the different mythologies of of. Um, of ancient civilizations, we had to memorize the gods' names, we have to memorize all of that, but yet they did not teach us the birth of the Abrahamic religion itself, like where it came from and all that, because that would have made us question the authenticity of, of our religion. So that is, is, a, is an issue I have with. Uh, but I, it was also French, um, French system. French is my first language. So, uh, and the French system is very strict when it comes to <laughs> basically killing individuality. The students who were always like the favorites and, and uh, you know, like teachers loved them were the ones who would just say yes and do the exactly same thing and virtually no personality at all. These were the ones who like we, we were always compared to like, why can't you be like him, you know, or like her? So they want you to be an exact copy paste from everyone else. And that's where I found my, my rebellion. Like, I will not be what you want me to be. I'm going to stay true to myself and my own interests and all that. There were a lot of times where they were trying to shut down things in me, questions that I had and so on. And they would try to like, don't ask this question. Don't mention this thing. Don't write this, uh, you know, this, uh, I wrote like this paragraph in, in school and I wanted to publish it in the school uh, newspaper. And they rejected it. They were like, no, this is going to raise too many questions about the nature of reality and God and all. So, yeah, this was always back and forth between me and them. I used to always see it in, in um, American sitcoms about how when kids like reach high school, they have to pick some courses that they need to study and all that. We didn't have that. Like for us, it was this is it's the same curriculum that you have all your life until you graduate school. And then when you graduate school, they tell you, okay, go ahead and pick a career. And it's like, I don't even know where I'm going. Like, I don't even know what I like. You've, you haven't given me any orientation, any kind of guidance or anything. <laughs> like, I'm 18. Yeah, go to school and, you know, learn. Learn what you want to be for the rest of your life. They're not um, teaching you how to be good in life, basically. They're teaching you how to be a a factory worker and someone who doesn't ask questions and you just do whatever they say. And that's the idea. That's why we all came out to life and we were completely, like we had no idea what we we're doing. No one taught us how to save money, how to buy a house, how to fix the car, how to cook, how to have empathy, someone, uh, relationships, love languages, like so many things that, that you can teach in a school curriculum that would prepare someone for life and yet it's like, no, just learn this, this uh, uh, you know, uh, theory in math, which is never going to use ever in the future and read this old book that is not related to you or to the time that we have now or anything. As soon as Sergio got the chance, he left Lebanon and moved to Bahrain, where he saw that something was missing. In university, actually, I um, met who would become my wife. Uh, and she uh, was born in Bahrain. She went to Lebanon to study only in university. So met her, fell in love. I always wanted to leave Lebanon anyway. So that was like, to me, the kind of 
perfect opportunity. So we, we, we fell in love and everything. After we both graduated from, uh, from university, I knew that I'm coming to Bahrain. We got engaged, we got married, and then we moved here. And uh, yeah, that, uh, that was basically the, the door opening for me to come here. I have family in different areas of the world, and it was always, the plan was always to leave Lebanon after I graduate from university and get my bachelor's and all that, that see where I'm going. But given that, you know, I found my future and, and that at that time, it, it felt like the perfect um, decision to make. And it's, uh, it's actually quite, quite a good decision. I really like it here. It's so calm as opposed to coming from Beirut and the, the, the war and everything so loud and all that. This feels like a, like a village, like a very calm village. And uh, it was exactly what I needed. Like I detoxed everything that I went through before. So I own this uh, board game coffee shop here in Bahrain, and um, it's the only one of its kind in the entire country, which is something I'm very proud of. And the way it actually came about was because I was going through a very difficult time in my job. I'm a, I'm a graphic designer. That's my day job, basically. I was married at the time, and I completely broke down one day at work and had an anxiety attack, which I never had before, I thought I was dying. I'm talking hyperventilating, my face went numb on the left side, uh, my heart was beating, I could hear my heart beating while I was sitting at my desk. I just completely felt like I'm dying, uh, out of nowhere. And I called my friend who was at work with me, told, uh, told him, please, can you drop me home? I can't even drive. Uh, I need to go to the hospital and so on. They called my wife at the time and uh, she took me to a hospital. They did a, an EKG for my heart and didn't find anything. There was nothing wrong with my heart. And I didn't believe them. I went to another hospital. And then when that came back negative, I went to a private clinic all in the same day because I'm like, my heart is going to stop. So someone is lying to me. There's something that's right. The last doctor I saw told me that you might be going through an anxiety attack. Like I would invite you to, to accept that idea and maybe talk to a psychiatrist, talk to someone, because all your tests are negative. There's nothing wrong with you on a physical way. It's completely in your head. So that was like a big, you know, like shock. It was, it was a shock to me. And then I followed therapy and I went and everything. And... It was in therapy when I realized that I need to do something with my life. Like the reason why I reached where I reached is because I did not have any view for the future. It was just going like I'm going to work every day. I have no plan, no hope, completely dead on the inside. And I'm just doing this job daily, routinely. And once I realized that I need to do something, that's when me and uh, my ex-wife, we... Um, we thought of, okay, so what is missing in the country adding to what we love to do? And that came back with board games and a space for us nerds and geeks that love everything, fantasy, Lord of the Rings, Game of Thrones, Harry Potter, what have you. Like we are, I'm a complete geek. And I was like, there's nothing like it here. Let's just, you know, jump in the water and see what happens. And... We did it. Like the moment I thought of doing something that already changed all the, chem all the you know, the, whatever was going on in my body. Like I started getting better slowly. I, I felt like there's hope. I felt like I can do something with my life. And a year after that, like it took a whole year to, to do it. And we, we opened the coffee shop to great success. Uh, uh, like uh, the, the amount of people who would come to the place and when I see the face, their faces lit up, looking around, like, where have you been all our lives? Like, this is the place, you know, like that we've been waiting for. It just speaks to us. It just caters to a very niche market that, you know, used to rather stay at home and play like board games and Dungeons and Dragons and like these stuff, which are very, uh, you know, like they're shunned in society, right? They finally found a place where I also like it. So to me, it's not even about like making money or anything. It's just, I just want to be around people like that. Like, I just want to have them come over and just enjoy. Like we all play together. We all enjoy ourselves. And yeah, it, uh, it was like this. 
And now, obviously, you know, what happened in 2020 and we're, we're still recovering. It was a very big hit for us. We closed for like 11 months and all that. But we're still trying to push and we're working on it and all that. I'm very, very proud of it. Very happy with, with my decision. And uh, yeah, things got really better since then. Graphic design has always been my, my, my first love. <laughs> I, I taught myself that before I even went to university. Uh, like since school days, I would sit at home and just learn the early internet days. <laughs> I would get tutorials, learn on Adobe Photoshop and stuff like that. And that's when I realized how much I love that. Uh, by the time I graduated and started working, obviously it was, it came at a big shock because you graduate and you think you're going to go out and you're going to, you know, be as creative as you can. You're going to, you know, change the world. And then you get your clients and you tell you, no, this is not okay. You have to change this and that. So I started understanding as the years passed that I need to learn how to create my own brand, my own self, while maintaining a specific flow of work and, you know, make money and get the salary rolling and all that. So I learned to disconnect between my job as a designer and who I am as a person. And that I feel kind of really helped me shape by the time I got to my own business that I know how to navigate all this stuff, that it's not personal. It's not just me. It's, it's how to communicate, how to express yourself, how to express it to others and get others to come to you and all that. And as the years passed, uh, I, learned so many different skills over many jobs. I got to the right people. Uh, I became very close with really, with the right, you know, suppliers and the right uh, production people and every aspect of where, what I would end up using for my coffee shop. I kind of like knew where to go when the time came. I knew how to do this. I knew how to do that. Even uh, harnessing my skills when it comes to like social media and how to how to attract customers there because like since we've opened we all we have is an Instagram page that's it we don't have anywhere we haven't paid for marketing we haven't done any sort of advertising like complete zero it's just that we're completely based on word of mouth and how the experience that we are giving is reaching the right people and in my experience also helped me pick the right name for the place. It was so on point when we picked the name that before we even opened, we got a call from someone telling us, are you going to be having like board games and selling uh, this and doing like just the name itself already captured the right target, you know, and this is something we would not have known. I would not have known if I had just graduated from university, I would be like, oh, I want a cool name and a cool logo and all that. But no, like it takes time to like, just slow down and understand the market, understand how it works, where to go, where not to go. And I think that's very important because today we live in this, everything has to go so fast, you know, like who's the youngest billionaire? Who is, uh, at what age did someone start something? Uh, you're getting to your thirties and you don't own your own business or house or whatever. That means you're doing something wrong. And it's like, no, you know, like we need to slow down and, and, and take it all in and get the experience because it, it is a real thing. Like, you know, it's, it's not just luck or someone who has a lot of money or someone like that. No, that experience is so important. And I am very happy that I did not start my business early on. I'm very happy that I waited for the right time. Like it was the right time. I came to this country when I was 24. So obviously I have no connection to anyone. No one knows me. I don't know anyone. It's just, it's a completely new, new plate. But I know that for the past 12, 13 years that I've been here, I have built a connection and a network with people who are my age. Okay. So people who are same level as me, not like people who are higher. And it feels like it's the right thing to do because eventually we are going to get older and it's, us who are gonna take over the country in a way. You know what I mean? Like when, when you see like these big family names, these big businesses and all that, everyone is, has been in business for like 50 years, 40 years, family passing it on and so on. So we are the new generation and we are building with each other this network very slowly, 
eventually 20 years from now, 30 years from now, we are going to be the leaders and a new generation will come and they will build their own network. So it was also very difficult for me to accept that I should not be comparing myself to someone who has been established for, for half a century, you know, because I started doing that. It was eating me alive. Like, oh, why, you know, my business, I have a coffee shop. Why aren't I making, uh, you know, as good as Starbucks, for example, you know what I mean? And like, then I was like, what am I doing? You know, like the only thing I should be comparing myself to is what the coffee shop was last year. That's it. Am I making more business? Am I getting more people? Do more people know about it? That's, that's it. That's all I care about. So that was also a very hard lesson for me to, to learn though, who to compare myself to and accept that it takes time. This, this is key, like takes time because everyone is in extreme rush right now. And it's, uh, that's, that's why everyone's like, anxious all the time and, and anxiety and depression and we need help and all that because we're not supposed to be rushing so much. Even with a career as a graphic designer and his coffee shop in full swing, Sergio still felt he had more to say to the world. This led to the formation of his podcast, Paradigm Shift. In about two years, it started feeling like, okay, the coffee shop is kind of running itself. Uh, I did the full, you know, the operation, everything's good, everything's well done. It was a question, one question that my son asked me when he was four, that kind of changed everything for me. It, it, I kind of replayed, like, I feel like everything that happened in my life stopped at that moment when he asked me, which is a very simple question. It just, it made me think so much. And he was just asking me, what happens when we die? But what's after death? At that point, it felt like I would be betraying his trust if I just give him the answer that was given to me when I asked that question. It felt like no one really knows, right? Like we, some people have faith, some people don't. Some people b believe different things throughout history and religions and stuff like that. But there's no concrete evidence in anything other than just your own belief, belief system. And that's what, what faith is, right? So to me, to see this child, I saw myself in him and I saw how my parents, you know, kind of dropped the ball when it comes to gaining my trust over the years growing up in that house and how they gave me so many answers. And then I realized later they were wrong. They were either lying or they were not sure of and all that. And it felt like I couldn't just give him an answer where I'm telling him, you know what, this is the truth, okay? What I believe in or what my religion says is the truth. Uh, this is it. You have to also believe in it. It felt like I'm betraying him and I'm betraying everything I grew up on, believing who I am and everything. And I just basically gave him a very basic answer, which is a lot of people believe different things. And my background, my religion believes in that but others believe in other things. But it didn't stop there with me. Like, it made me re-look at so many things. Like It made me re-read the Bible, re-read different uh, mythologies, ancient religions, civilization, and so on. And it opened this whole door for me that I didn't even know was there, which made me question everything I ever believed in before. And it completely changed my thoughts, my behavior, uh, what I believe in. It just makes me want to now research more and more and delve deeper into it. I think that's, that's something within me where it was never enough for me to just like have my job, have my money come in, have all that. Like there's always, I need to always express myself in new ways, in, in creative ways, in something that I would challenge myself, I would get to know more things. To me, like getting knowledge and information and learning new things is probably the purpose of my life. Like there is nothing that brings me more happiness than learning something new. I absolutely love it. And sharing that, sharing whatever I just learned with someone. At the time, it. In my head, I was either thinking of writing a book. So there was this book that I wanted to write, which, uh, write, which was a fiction, but it also deals with some sort of, uh, you know, like 
nature of reality, simulation theory, uh, Mandela effect and stuff like that. So I wanted to either express myself in that way. And I started with it and all that. But then I kind of, over a few months later, I realized that I really enjoy expressing vocally and verbally and talking, right? And it's something that I couldn't do that if I'm going to write the book. So I, I felt, okay, let me just take you know, a risk, venture into podcasting and see how it goes. But I'm going to put the book on hold. It's not, I'm not, I don't want to overwhelm myself with too many projects. And then I end up doing nothing. That was like a struggle for maybe three months where I'm like, podcast or book, podcast or book. And then I didn't do anything. Then I thought, okay, I'm going to leave the book to the side, come back to it maybe 10 years later when I have more experience. And now just go and do what I do best, which is talk. Basically, that's, <laughs> that's definitely my, one of my strongest suits. Is that that you know that caused me a lot of problems when I was in school. So now I'm using it uh, in, a, in a good way. She's still rebellious. Yeah, it just started with with the idea like, okay, so podcast. What would I want to talk about? I remembered my conversation with my son. How the topic of religions came to me in such a strong way. It felt like I needed to to go there. Like it felt like there's a calling where. I can research, I can read things that are new to me or things that I've read before, but I'm seeing them in a new perspective. And whatever I learn, I want to share it. And whoever is listening will listen. Like it just feel, felt very basic to me. Like whoever needs to listen to the words I'm saying will listen to them. That's it. I'm not looking for fame or this huge audience or money or anything. I just want to do the basic a sharing of information. That's all I cared about. And that was at the basis of, of the podcast. And now it's turning into this whole like education thing for me more than for others. You know, it's more like I, every time I think of a new topic, I sit down, I research it completely. I study it. I, uh, I read books about it and so on. And then, okay, everything I've gathered, I want to pass it on to someone. But the way I pass it on to someone, I want to do it in the most simplest way possible. Because I always felt like there's a lot of topics which are extremely overwhelming to people. Like if you, if you want to approach them talking about the nature of reality, you know, people will be like, you know, this is too complicated. I don't want to do this. And I'm like, okay, so I'll think of a way there where I gather as much information I can, but, but within 12 to 15 minutes, I'll talk to them in the most simple, basic way possible. Nice examples, simple words, don't need to over-exaggerate uh, my, my, the, the words I use, the vocabulary, everything. No, just, we're just people, just someone who's talking. And take it from there. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's really something I, I, I deeply, deeply enjoy doing. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Paradigm Shift, the podcast where we explore truth through forgotten knowledge. So basically on the podcast, I go over mostly philosophical ideas. Uh, I go spiritual stuff. I'll give examples and uh, I go into ancient uh, history and civilization. So to me, I've come to this conclusion that every religion on earth throughout history has been trying to say something, but for some reason it has, it's missing a link and something has been manipulated and politicized so that, you know, like people in power control those who are not in power and so on. So my idea is to research the birth of religions and why are they the way they are? Where does it come from? What are the theories related to mythologies and religions? Why is the human race so fascinated with that. And then to kind of accept and inform others that when it comes to spirituality and when it comes to your own power as, as, a, as a human being and your connection to whatever is the universe or the creator or whatever you want to give him a name, like there's something there that has been sort of blocked from us because of, because of religion. So. I've come to this conclusion that religion has been controlling and not allowing us to reach the potential that we can reach 
if we have a direct connection with the energy that is surrounding us, that, that is life, basically. And that is mostly my, my topic. So when people discuss, for example, near-death experiences, like I've spoken to people who have actually died and came back, like actual people I know personally, and the way this, they describe their experience has nothing to do with, with any religion on earth ever. You know, it's, it's much more profound and it's, there's this connection with all of us as humans. Like th they tell me they felt, they felt the connection, they felt the love. And I have personally experienced OBE, an out-of-body experience. Like I have seen myself come out and, and looked at the room around me and I'm like, oh my God, this is actually happening. And then I freaked out and went back in. Like they are, and, and I've had stuff with paranormal. I have. Once this, I, I've mentioned it in other places where like this light bulb exploded over my head. I was so angry and just, just happened out of nowhere. I have been to places where I felt the presence of something. So to me, like the, the, the story of humanity is this very long discovery of, of the world that we live in and all the secrets. And we take whatever our ancestors learned and did, we just apply it and then we give you know, for the future to, so that they also take it and learn it and all that. And this is like, our understanding of everything is based on that. Like all we know, let's say, for example, when it comes to religion, all we know when it comes to religion is how our ancestors viewed the world they were living in, how they viewed God and so on. We took that, we learned more from it, and we're still going to give it to future generations. So it's probably the effect won't be instant like it won't be now but it's helping with our journey as a human consciousness i am your host sergio halabi and the question i will try to answer during this episode is are we living in a simulation simulation to me it's a bit of a it's more complicated than we think because whenever we we mention simulation theory and all that everyone jumps to like the matrix right and like oh we're in this within this computer program and we are being, uh, uh, you know, like controlled by specific beings and so on and so on. My understanding of simulation uh, theory has evolved over time as I kind of try to bring together the more philosophical and spiritual ideas of our existence versus simulation and what life is and what reality is. But there's obviously, and this is pure science, there's obviously so many things that we cannot detect as human beings. Like our five senses are completely limiting to what we have. We can't even detect the entire, uh, the, the whole light lights uh, from the sun. There's so many wavelengths that we can't even see. So we already know that we are not perceiving everything the way it is. That is a fact, okay? This is not like a theory. So the question comes, what lies behind those senses and how much are we being controlled because we cannot see them? There's this uh, very interesting, like it's, it's supposed to be funny, but I feel like it's very deep, that a shark doesn't know that a camel exists, right? So in his reality, in his perception of reality, there are so many things that he is unaware of their existence, and yet he exists within the same reality as those other things. So... Imagine how many things we as humans are incapable of perceiving, which lends to the theory that the fact that we have limits in our brain means that what we are witnessing is a simulation to an extent, because it's not the full extent of reality in its objective way. It's very subjective to us what we're seeing. Colors that we see, sounds that we hear, taste, everything is purely subjective. This is my experience as my consciousness is what I'm experiencing from reality. And yet the real reality has layers upon layers of things that I can't even see or detect and so on. And the question I will try to answer during this episode is, do past lives exist? Oh yeah, when it comes to past lives, I definitely feel there's something there because you can always feel certain people that you know, you know, when you meet someone, you feel like I've known you, like it seems like I've known you all my life and there's some sort of connection that goes back to knowing this soul before this life right now. 
when you are attracted to certain time periods that you just feel like, why does it feel like home more than home does right now? You know, why am I so attracted to this? And why aren't others? You know, like it could be so fascinating and you look around and say, aren't you also as fascinated in this as, as me? And the answer is no. And that's because you had a sort of relationship that uh, dreams that you have, which you feel like I've had dreams where they feel like memories, but they're not mine. You know, like there's a, there's a time that I always have that right before I fall asleep, I get these memories where I, I kind of wake myself out from, and I don't even know what they are anymore. Like they just completely slip away, but they felt like I lived them sometime, but they're not from this life or this not me who I am right now. The idea that this circular thing of, of, of life and death and we keep coming back and all that, like it, it aligns with so many different spiritual ideas that I subscribe to and uh, I, I deeply believe in, even though religion says otherwise, especially Abrahamic religions are totally against the idea of reincarnation and uh, you know all that. But that's only because it will, like there is nothing in any book that says reincarnation doesn't exist, nothing. So the only reason why it's, uh, religions are against it is because they devalue what these you know, masters have done. So for example, in Christianity, like, oh, so if we believe in, re in, uh, in, uh, in reincarnation, that means that what Jesus did in his resurrection is not special. So that means that reincarnation is not okay. But there is no point where it's actually written that this, is, this doesn't exist. So even, even these religions are like creating new laws or, or rejecting certain ideas just because it doesn't align with whatever they're teaching. There are so many ways that you can actually try to see if you had past lives and try to go back in memory. And, and I've done past life regression meditations and they're pretty, pretty interesting. The emotions you get, the, this, the visuals that you see. I saw myself next to a, lying in a cave next to a dead woman. She was burnt alive. And I was just standing there next to her. I don't even know what happened, why it happened or all that. But I was like, it's a memory. You know what I mean? It's, it's really difficult to explain and to pass it on to someone else because it always can be, uh, you know, relegated to, yeah, it's just like fantasy or you're imagining or whatever. But the, it's the emotion that actually makes you feel like it's real or not. It's not just whatever you felt, uh, whatever you thought of. It's that feeling that you got with you. So, uh, yeah, I, I definitely subscribe to it. Yeah. In this episode, I'll be asking the most famous question of all time. Do we have free will? When it comes to free will and what we think is free will versus what we feel is predestined that we do and whether we do make choices or not. This is a very deep uh, spiritual idea that you, you kind of need to accept in order to, to build upon. And it, it is based on whether you want to call it past lives or the fact that you as a soul existed before you were born. That to me is, is key. And that is also in terms of science, when we talk about uh, energy and how it's never created, it's always transformed. So that also al aligns with science that you can't just be created out of nothing. Like it doesn't happen. Okay. So even as you, as a consciousness, as a soul, you have transformed from an existence to a new one in this human body. And you're living this human experience for a while, how many years it is. And then you're going to leave it and go somewhere else. Whether you come back to this life or go somewhere else, that's, that's up for debate and that's a different topic. But the idea is that we are now, as a consciousness, we are experiencing reality. That's it. And the idea between free will and destiny, this came to me recently when I tried to understand that, or I came to understand that, so before we are born on earth as humans, in our previous existence, we made specific choices. And that's where, that's where the free will exists. So before coming to earth, 
I, for example, decided, okay, so I'm gonna be born as a man in Beirut, experience civil war, experience a broken home, move, on, move to another location, do this, 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 and that. And I'm gonna do that because I need to experience life, as simple as that. I need to experience life. I made those choices, and then when I came and I was born, I'm now manifesting those choices. And that's why we always feel like we want something, but we are never getting it. Like, like I, I want to go there and I'm trying to do this and it's not happening. It's not happening. And I feel like I'm not aligned within my soul purpose. Every time I make a choice or I want to do something that is not what I originally chose for myself. And this is something called as well. Um, this is more religious, but it's called the dark night of the soul. The dark night of the soul is when you go through this extreme, extreme sadness because whatever you're doing at the time, in the moment, you realize it's not aligned with your original purpose. Like there's something that's not right. And life keeps throwing things at you and you keep trying to do something and it's not working. And there's this emptiness and sadness and all of those emotions until you realign yourself with your original purpose, the one that you made for yourself, that's when you can experience it fully. And that's when you experience uh, what I call like the transcendent death, which is you die because you have basically accomplished whatever you wanted to accomplish. There's this theory that says that there are two types of death, either transcending death or timed death, which is basically you ran out of time. And the idea is, so I came to earth, I did not fulfill the purpose I put myself for, like it's not my original soul purpose. And the years passed and I died. I'm going to come back and I'm going to keep coming back until I achieve that purpose. And the moment you achieve that, that's when you pass on to another form, to another form of existence, to another being, to another place whatever that is. So this aligns with the past lives and everything. Everything is sort of connected one way or another. And that to me is, is, is a very simple and accepted way of looking at things that whatever it is I'm going through or went through, it's all part of, of the experience. That's it. It has no, no deeper meaning than that. It's not more subjective than this. It's a very objective truth that I am here to experience emotions and things. And I chose to do this for myself, this and this and that, and now I'm doing it. And the more I fight it, the more doors get closed in my face, the more I'm unhappy. And the moment I, I align myself, it just feels right. Like, I don't know if you've experienced a time where you've done something and you feel like it's just right. And that is when you are connected to your original soul purpose. The reason why I have my podcast, the reason why I talk to people is not for me to get myself out there. It's mostly to learn. The more I dig into it, the more I learn more and more. And there could be a time in the future where I realize, yeah, well, everything I grew up on is the truth. That's fine. But at least that would be the one I researched, you know, the one I searched, I found not the one that I was indoctrinated into or made to believe that that is the truth. Eventually, Sergio discovered a way to add a strong visual component to his podcast, but he continues to keep the entire project in perspective. At first, my Instagram page was, uh, was just a way to promote the podcast. So I created a lot of visuals at the start, but then deleted all of them later on. Uh, just to kind of say, okay, so now I have a new episode, go watch it, uh, go listen. I have a new episode, go, that was it. But then I started noticing that there are things that are better visualized, right? So I could say about, I could talk about topic, but it could be a bit complicated. It could be a bit overwhelming. And given that I have a background in graphic design and, and all that, it felt to me like, why don't I just start introducing some posts where things that I speak about in the podcast go into a visual way on the, on the Instagram page. That's how it started, where I would do that. And then it kind of also took a life of its own because 
I now talk more about more stuff than I do on my podcast. So now it's like I found myself with two things running at the same time where here I have a visual identity and, and a way to communicate to people certain ideas. And every once in a while, I'll do the podcast, I'll talk about a specific topic, and then it goes on. And I always felt with, um, with both my Instagram and the podcast that I'm not in a rush to do anything. You know, I don't, I don't feel like I'm pressured to, I have to make a post daily. I have to make a podcast episode weekly and so on. It feels like I'm going to trade uh, quality for quantity. So to me, it's like I just do it when the mood strikes, whenever I feel like the gates uh, opened and I have a message, I have an idea. Okay, I'll sit down, I'll do it. If there's nothing that comes out for two weeks, I don't care. Even if I'm losing uh, followers, even if people are not listening, it doesn't matter because those are not the people I'm interested in. If someone is is expecting me like to post daily and get more information. Okay, maybe I'm not for you. Maybe you, you go somewhere else or so on. To me, I'm just doing it for me. I express, I visualize, I speak, and whoever is out there is, is listening. Find a place where you can express yourself. Stop waiting for a job to give you that satisfaction because it will never do. Like us creative people, we put so much of ourselves into our work. Like literally part of me comes out in a design that I do or in a, uh, in a visual that I create. And it used to really affect me negatively when I would get criticism for it. I would feel inadequate, imposter, uh, not good enough and so on. Once I went into my own direction, like I have my day job, I do my thing, get paid, everything's fine. But at the same time, the fact that I, I have a platform where I express myself in the most creative way that I find for me, that has been so fulfilling. And that no job has ever given me. Even, even, even when I receive good feedback, when I get things approved at my job and all that, it's like, okay, nice, whatever, moving on. But the fulfillment I got from designing or being creative is when I did my own thing and no one can tell me like, change this, do that, do that. And don't worry about like, I don't have enough followers. I don't have enough uh, people listening. I, it doesn't matter. It doesn't like, it's not for them. It's really for you. If you have 10 people who enjoy your work, that's, that's, that's enough. Like, cause we are so desynthesized to, to, to large numbers, right? Like we see this, this Instagram page, like million followers, 10 million followers. And it just becomes like a not real number. But if you put them in a, in a room, like imagine you have your podcast and you get 300 listeners every episode, for example, you think, oh, I'm not, I'm not getting 10,000 listeners every episode, but imagine 300 people showing up to you talking in person, like you're sitting and 300 people came in and okay, what do you have to tell us? Like, I want to listen. That alone should give you that, that push, you know, like just don't focus on the numbers, focus on if one person, like the other day on my Instagram page, I got a DM from this woman in Australia. And she was like, I just want to tell you, thank you for your podcast, because I have been feeling so alone in my beliefs. And now I'm listening to what you're saying and I don't feel alone anymore. That to me is, that's it. That, that's all I want. You know, just one person from across the globe affected by what I said, that's enough. Don't chase money, fame, all that stuff. It's just, it's so empty. It's so empty, I promise. Like the fulfillment I got from, from these small interactions with human beings is, is all I can, or all I can ask for actually. Thanks for listening to Creators by Moonlight. Email the show at creatorsbymoonlight at gmail.com and follow the show on social at Creators by Moonlight.